You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening. Welcome to Metro Vision Studios. My name is Reese Kia Aina. Thank you so much for tuning in to our midweek service tonight. I wanted to start off with some great news. I want to introduce to the kingdom Carlos Aragon, who was recently baptized in the month of June. Yay, let's give it up to Carlos. Welcome to the kingdom, Carlos, as well as uh, a, a woman who was recently restored in July. Her name is Tiffany DuVernay-Smith. Awesome for her as well. Welcome back to the kingdom as well as let's give it up for Carmen Donato and Will Abita, who will be having their wedding on July 25th. Uh, I believe this will be our fourth wedding uh, this year. So let's be praying for them. Let's encourage them during this time uh, as they start their new life together on July 25th. Another update I want to encourage everyone about is a squad meeting that is coming up, a community conversation, a time of truth, a conversation with our local police. And if you would like to participate in this, it's July 24th at 6 to 8 p.m. You may want to just take a picture on your screen right now so you can get a little bit more of the details over here. Uh, there is going to be a meeting where we have a discussion with Lieutenant Williams of the Hawthorne Police Department about collaborating together for change. There is an RSVP that is required, so please take a picture of this and look forward to a great squad meeting and to see what God will be doing in the months to come. Amen. Tonight, I want to talk about God and race. And before we, as we dive into our lesson tonight, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. And just pray that we could just have an amazing midweek service tonight. We can have a lesson. We can, we can have thoughts and, and scriptures that can shape the way we think about you and our imaginations to broaden uh, as we talk about this topic, but also help us to be encouraged and, and to have our faith built, but also challenged, uh, to see where we can grow and to become more like Jesus. God, we pray pray for our lesson tonight and all the Zoom talks that will be going on and Zoom discussions that will be going on after service. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we've been talking about race for the last couple weeks, uh, perhaps, you know, over a month so far. And I've been talking about it with my kids about what is racism, prejudice, discrimination, who does it affect? Why is it so evil in God's eyes? And racism is certainly a human problem. And to support our brothers and sisters, you know, the teen ministry, uh, a few of us in the teens, as well as their teen families, did a March 2020 peaceful protests to support the slogan, Black Lives Matter, and to support our brothers and sisters who are African-American and and to participate in a peaceful protest that was very moving for my family. You know, one of the things that is so challenging about this topic about race is that racism is a human sinful problem. And it's difficult to have the conversation because uh 
who wants to be labeled as a racist? And, and racism is about ideology. It's about different ideas, about systems in place that that oppress. And, you know, it's this belief. There are many definitions that I, as I've been researching about racism, uh, but it's one definition is, is the belief that a race possesses distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities so as to distinguish them as superior to another race. And what is so hurtful and evil about racism is the fact that it, one's value or worth, one's identity is questioned, minimized, marginalized, diminished, and perhaps not even recognized. And one race thinks, feels, and acts superior, while another race thinks, feels, and acts inferior, with less value, less worth, and less dignity. In January of 2020, I got a chance in my third semester of grad school to visit North Carolina. And when I visited North Carolina, I went to to visit a historic site, which is called Stagville Plantation, that existed before 1865. And it's the first time I've ever been to a slave plantation, but I got a chance to be a little bit more up close and personal about personable about personal about one's life feeling devalued, a group of people who are just demeaned and forced and looked at as property. And this place that I went to, Stagville is one of the largest slave plantations that existed in North Carolina. You know, it was a very humbling experience. Very, I was, I was having a difficult time. I went with Cesar Lopez. I went with David Molina, as well as John Oakes, you know, one of the teachers who came and spoke earlier this year. And man, I, I had a tough time at this place, but I got a chance to see, uh, history and some of the evils of slavery and what it does to people. And at this plantation, over 900 people were enslaved and, and almost all at this particular plantation, the people were born into slavery. They were treated with no respect, no value, no worth, worthiness, no dignity, all the while developing the skill set to produce wealth for a white plantation family. And to be quite honest, I felt sick to my stomach and nauseous and I cried walking the grounds trying to imagine what life must have been like as a person who was owned as property. And, you know, and, and different, we, we looked at different places as we walked the land here about what life is like, you know, and these are some of the, the, the buildings here that were made by slaves. I got a chance to look at their slave quarters. And, and if you could see, there's a, there's a brother to my, to the right there that is looking uh, inside of the slave quarters. I got a chance to see different buildings that were built. And this building here, uh, if you look, as to insulate, because North Carolina, it, it gets cold in the winters, you get a chance to see a building that has mud that is put to insulate the inside. And, and you get a chance to see, you know, up close and personal, those lines that you see on there are the, are the imprints or fingerprints of the slaves that built this facility. You know, when it comes to slave racism and slavery, it's something that is learned. People learn how to be racist. People learn how to hate. People learn how to be, how to have bigotry. 
Nelson Mandela had this quote, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. And I appreciate that by Nelson Mandela. You know, we're going to talk about three points tonight. Why evil is so bad in the eyes of God. And here are our three points. Why is racism so evil in the eyes of God? Well, it's because God made all people in his image and likeness. It's because God included all people in his vision for heaven. And the third point is God purchased all people for his own glory. You know, I'm not an expert here on race relations, but I would like to share some thoughts from a theological or biblical perspective on this topic of God and race. And so one of the things I'd like to talk about is in Genesis chapter one right here. It's a great passage. You know, I studied this passage out in my third semester during school. And in Genesis chapter one and verse 26, it reads, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. One of the first things we learn about this passage here is that God created mankind in their own image, right? In their likeness. And the first point I want to talk about is this, is the imago Dei. Uh, the the it's the latin word for image of god and and god's image is in all people and that's the beautiful thing about god's image is that it's in everybody it's universal it's not for just christians it's it's for all peoples all races all ethnicities every single person on this planet has the imago dei within them that god created within them and it's a powerful thought and to understand this passage, though, you got to kind of go back to the God's creation narrative, if you will. And if you look at the, this slide right here, it's God's account of Genesis chapter one and, and the creation and what God did in six days. Uh, on the first day in verse three, God created light and he made day and night and, and God said that it was good. On the second day, God made the sky. Uh, evening and morning, and he said it was good. On the third day, God created the land, sea, and plants. And on, and on land, as God created plants with seeds and trees with seeds that bear fruit, he did it according to their kind. On day four, God created the stars. You know what's interesting about, as you look at the creation narrative, do you know how many stars there are, right? How many stars is there in the universe? And I was doing some research on it. The answer is infinite. Okay, We just don't know. According to NASA.gov, in the observable universe, meaning that we have instruments or tools that is able to see, uh, help us to see the universe. In the observable universe, the number of stars come out to, according to NASA.gov, 20 to the 21st power or 1 billion trillion stars. Can you even fathom that number for a second? One billion trillion stars. Think about it this way. Imagine this. If you, if you took all the grains of sand on our beaches, all, all on our planet, 
that would kind of give you an idea of how many stars there are in the universe. And this is just what we can observably see, right? What we can observe. Day five, God created sea creatures according to their kind and winged birds according to their kind. In day six, God created land creatures according to their kind. I mean, God was busy working, right? I mean, for me, I would have taken a break after that, patted myself on the back and took a week off, but not God. Everything he made was for his pleasure. And he didn't stop there because he saved the best for last. In in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God's last act of creation, he created mankind and he created mankind in, in our image and likeness, male and female, he created them to be. You know, here's a couple things to notice about this passage. One of the first things to notice about Genesis chapter 1 is that in verse 26 to 27 is that human beings were the only thing in creation that God said was very good. I mean, if you've ever struggled with low self-esteem, low self-worth, never feeling good enough or or feeling inadequate, this is the passage for you. God felt good about creating light sky, land, sea, plants, trees, stars, sea creatures, and birds. But the, but God felt, I mean, he felt good about all of that, but he felt very good about creating you and I. Everything about you is not just good. It's very good. Your nationality, your looks, your appearance, your biological makeup, the gift set that you've been given by God, your height. Okay, I'm, I, for me, I'm still working that one out with God there. Yeah, at times I feel like I got the short end of the stick, right? But I'm working that out with God. Your intellect, your athletic ability. If you've ever felt like you never feel good enough, God looks at humankind, mankind, human beings, and thinks very, they're, they're they're very good. It's amazing. All my life I've felt this way a bit. The second thing you can notice about this passage is human beings were the only ones made according to God's kind. Human beings were made, they were the only ones made according to God's kind. In the narrative, God emphasizes 10 times that all the living plants, trees, sea creatures, birds, and land creatures were all made according to their kind. We see diversity. We see groupings happen. But mankind was the only one made according to God's kind in his image and his likeness. Ruminate on that thought for a minute. No other living creature had this honor. Human beings were made according to God's kind. It's what makes us unique. It's what makes us different. And the third thing is that human beings were made to reflect the image as representatives or co-agents. And this is an important point. You know, in the Hebrew, the word image is this word selem, which means to pattern or to form. It is not the actual thing, but bears resemblance to the actual. And we can understand that, right? We, this idea of, of being made in the image of God, we understand that that means that there, there's something about us that is made to resemble God, that is made in his image and, and we're like God for, for, uh, as an example, think about this for a minute. This is a picture of my family. 
And you can see that image in us, right? You can see that this is four generations of men in my family right here, and we all look alike. It's that image of that's similar to the former generation. Uh, I love this picture. We can all understand when it talks about how we are to resemble or can be similar to God. We see it in our own family line. But there's more to this passage. So what does the image of God actually mean? And this is... Uh, this has been, the, theologians have been debating over this topic for years, you know, about what does the image of God actually mean? And many scholars, uh, draw a parallel between the image of God in Genesis and the image of kings in the ancient world. In other words, through Genesis and Old Testament passages and Israel's surrounding culture, that can give us a great idea of what this image actually means. And so in Genesis, one of the things I want you to think about, there's this author, his name is J. Richard Middleton, who's a professor, he's an author, he's a scholar from Northeastern Seminary, he got his master's, he got his PhD in interpreting the Imago Dei, or the image of God. And what he wrote is interesting, is often, kings and rulers couldn't be in all places at once. So they made statutes or monuments or idols, if you will, of themselves to let people know which God they worshipped. Those images or idols let everyone know that the king's rule extended wherever his image was found. And so think about in the Old Testament and, and the nations that made idols to let people know which God they worshipped. Many of us have heard of uh, the Baals or the Asterisks, right? Which were the god and goddess of the Canaanites. That's an example of an image or an idol being somewhere that let all the people know who it is that they actually worship. And so what is so important about this passage to understand is, point being, is that God placed the Imago Dei in all humans to reflect God, to reflect God's rule and administration over all of Earth's resources. And it is a big deal. But what ends up happening is is that in Genesis chapter 3, you know, because of sin, that image gets distorted. So we, so we don't really bear the full image of God, but God created a plan as a restorative and redemptive plan to help that image be completely restored. And it's always restored through the one true image, Jesus Christ, right? He's the only one who is the true image of God. But that image that is in us is distorted a bit because of the sin. You know, uh, an archbishop, Desmond Tutu, said this about the Imago Dei, that each person is not just to be respected, but to be revered as one created in God's image, to treat a child of God as he or she was less than this is not just wrong, which it is, it is not just evil, as is, as it often is, not just painful, as it often must be for the victim, it is ver veritably blasphemous, for it is to spit in the face of God. Archbishop Desmond Tutu was an Anglican archbishop, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize, I believe, in 1982 for his work uh, in resolving apartheid in South Africa. And th that's a strong statement that he made about respecting the Imago Dei in every single person in this world. 
And you know, it's a challenge though, because while we have that image in us, sin in Genesis chapter three, the fall of man distorts that image. So that image can perhaps look like this, if you will. You know, there's a picture of grace and I, but that image is distorted because of sin. And this whole idea of restoration and redemption in the, in the narrative of God is what restores us back to that true image. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In other words, the only true image of God that truly exists in the Bible is the one of Jesus, the complete image as he resurrected. And that's so encouraging for us because by following Jesus, by acting on the Bible, as we become more and more like him, people get to see that true image. Have you ever heard of this quote? Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. It's so true that as disciples of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we need to be careful how we live because how we live reflects God. It reflects that image. And that's that's so encouraging to know that, wow, God believes in us, so he put us this image in it. But even because we sin and we fall, that image gets marred, but there's a process to restore that true image back to its rightful place by looking at Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, that Im- we, we are made more into Jesus every day the more we follow and obey the Bible. And that's encouraging. People can see that image within us as we love, as we show, as we build faith, as we show compassion. It makes your role as a Christian, you know, as God's true image bearers, so significant in the world in which we live in. So let's remember point number one. Why is racism so evil according to God? Because God put his image in all people and it diminishes his image as we think we're superior to other people. The second thing I want to talk about is this right here. God's vision for all people. God's vision for all people. I found a passage in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 that says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robe wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. The second thing I want to talk about today is God's vision for all people in heaven. In heaven, every nation will be there. Every tribe, every people, every language. It's it's God had a vision for all. That kind of diversity. That's inspiring to know that this is God's heart. This is God's vision. That 
every culture, every nation, every people, every language be given that opportunity to make it to heaven. I hope that encourages your faith this evening to know that while every single person in the world, every culture, every race, every tribe, every language, every culture is given that opportunity to one day make it to heaven if they respond to Jesus. The third thing I want to talk about is this passage here in Revelations chapter 5. And the third point is that God purchased all people. Why is racism so evil according to God? Because God purchased all people for his glory. Every tribe, every nation, every culture, every language was purchased for his own glory. In Revelations chapter 5, in verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased, or ransomed in other translations, for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know what I love about this passage about how God purchased all people, or in other translation, it uses the word ransomed all people, is the context of this passage is that the Apostle John starts off in Revelation chapter 4, and you can go back and look at that passage a little bit later, but it paints the picture. John gives this picture of what it's like in heaven, of a throne in heaven. I kind of want to paint that picture for you this evening. He, he, and, and look in Revelation chapter four, as you read the context of it, it's, it's, he paints this picture of a door and that as this door is open, we get a chance to see a room. And in that room, uh, in heaven, there's a throne in the middle of that room with a person sitting on that throne. And at, at that one throne, there are four living creatures surrounding that one throne worshiping. But also in that picture, aside from that one throne in the middle of the room with four living creatures that are worshiping day and, day and night and, and saying that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. They were saying that day and night. You know that song we sing, right? Uh, they were saying that day and night. But in the middle of that room with that one throne and four living creatures surrounding it, worshiping day and night, around that one throne, there's 24 other thrones with 24 elders dressed in white and a gold crown bowing down and worshiping. And John gives this picture uh, as of an angel that stands up and, and the context of this passage is about a scroll, the scroll of judgment that, that needs to be opened. And the angel asks, stands up and asks, who is worthy to open this scroll of God's judgment? An angel gets up in front of the whole room and is like, who is the one that is worthy to open this scroll? And as they looked around, they could find nobody in heaven, on earth, the Bible says, and even under the earth. They could not find anyone who was worthy to open the scroll until one elder shared and, and, and spoke. And he said that there is one that is from the lion of Judah. He's from a certain tribe and that there's one that was found to be worthy. And it is the one who was slain. And, and through his death, 
and blood purchased for God every tribe, every language, every person and, and from every nation. In other translations, what's so interesting about this passage is the one who was worthy was Jesus because of his death who was, and his crucifixion and this blood that was shed. You know, when they use the, in other translation, use that word ransom, right? That, that you were slain and, and with your blood ransom for God, every person. So think about that word ransom for a minute. And, you know, if, if your child, if someone kidnapped your child, right? And gave a ransom, how much is your child worth to you? Everything, right? I mean, there's no, it's priceless. You, you would, you would pay any amount. And I want you to think about this for a minute because this is important to know. I mean, it's a no brainer for me, right? That if somebody kidnapped one of my kids and they gave me a ransom, it doesn't matter what the cost is because my child matters. It, it you know, I would, I would pay everything I have for it. So I want you to think about the cross for a minute is that for, for every single person, it's a no brainer for Jesus. He would pay that ransom and he paid it with his life. What does that mean for you and me? If the only one who is worthy to open the scroll because of his death, because of his crucifixion, because his blood was, was shed. If the only person who was worthy to open the scroll was Jesus, what does that mean for you and me? It means you're worthy. It means I'm worthy. And here's the mind-blowing thing about this, is that Jesus died. He was crucified. He was slain. He purchased us. Every person, every culture, every nation, every tribe, knowing that you and I may never even accept or even appreciate that sacrifice. Think of that for a second. You mean everything to Jesus. If you've ever struggled with worth, what kind of value you have, what your worth is, this passage says it all. He's worthy. He's the only one that was worthy to open that scroll because of his death. But it also means you're worthy. I'm worthy. Every person is worthy if they respond. You mean everything to Jesus. And so, as we looked at three different points today, well, why is this important to know about why racism is so evil to God? And the three different points we talked about tonight. It's so we understand the significant role we play as image bearers, participating in God's restorative and redemptive plan to save the world. It's so we understand God's vision for who we will be in heaven. You know, we need to understand God has a plan for everyone, every culture, every nation, every people. It's also so we understand our true value, our true worth, and our true identity. So what's the practical tonight? What is the practical tonight that I want to leave you with? And here's the practical. Let's treat racism seriously. Treat racism seriously. I'm not equating the impact of racism in America to COVID-19. I'm not equating the impact of racism in America to COVID-19. This is an analogy I, I saw uh, and am using to help us look at practicals that can help us be self-aware as we 
are in talks about racism and that, that dialogue and conversations that are going on. Think about this. We're going through two pandemics, right? But as you think about racism, treat racism like COVID-19. Assume you have it. Listen to experts about it. Don't spread it. And be willing to change your life to end it. Assume you have it. Listen to experts about it. Now is our time to listen and learn and love and perhaps even lead in this so that we can strive for racial equality in the church and in America. Don't spread it and be willing to change your life to end it. What do we learn tonight in our lesson? Is that racism is a sinful human problem. The three points we talked about on why racism is so evil to God is because God made all people in his image and likeness. You reflect the Imago Dei. God included all people in his vision of heaven. God purchased all people for his glory. What's the practical? Let's treat racism like COVID-19. Let's listen. Let's learn. Let's love. And perhaps let's even lead in these conversations to strive for racial equality in the church and in America. As you go into your discussion groups tonight, here's a couple questions you can think about. Is what is one thing you learned about God tonight in the lesson? What's one thing you learned about God, his heart, what his plans are in this world? The second thing is, what is the spirit calling me to be or do in my life? What is the spirit calling me to be or do in my life? As we tackle these issues, I pray tonight, built your faith. I pray you were encouraged. I pray you also were challenged. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your attention. Have some great discussion groups tonight. Good night. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 